Welcome into the race week edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How we doing? Doing well. Excited for the weekend. Obviously, the 105th running of the greatest spectacle in racing on Sunday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But before we get to a race breakdown, let's start with a breakdown of qualifying and what a wild two days of qualifying that it was. Scott Dixon wins the pole, but there was drama in the back. Penske struggling, uh, a upstart team trying to find a way to make it happen, a veteran trying to find speed. And uh, where do you want to begin uh, with the, the fast guys or the slow guys? I think the, the slow guys, that was more, and Gal, that was more of the uh, exciting part of the two days. I would agree. I feel the intrigue with Will Power in there and even Simona De Silvestro, who when we talked, Caleb, um, earlier in the month, we didn't feel Simona would be in that conversation. But with Penske showing a significant lack of speed, uh, she was thrust into that. And um, who would have thunk it that two Penske cars would be in that five? But uh, both advance and uh, we'll start the race on Sunday. And one thing that we did not know before this weekend, of course, it was not out there. Uh, Simona Di Silvestro and Preto Autosport were using the uh, old Hunkos car. They leased it from Hunkos, so they don't even own the car. Preto Autosport leased it from Hunkos, the, the car that, of course, knocked out uh, Fernando Alonso and McLaren back in 2019. So that would maybe explain a little bit why this car was not as up to speed, I think, as we figured, despite the technical partnership with Penske. Uh, but I, I guess on, on Sunday with the last row shootout, it seemed when Sage Karam went out first, it seemed like he was a lock, correct? Yeah. I mean, once he set that time, I felt like, okay, that's comfortable. Um, and then it was Will Power, and, and I, I felt pretty good about Will. Even after slamming it well not slamming into the wall but he hit it pretty good coming out of the turn um but you know overall Caleb but I was I was sending you this before the run of the slow five is what I like to call it is <laughs> when you look at the um breakdown of those five drivers you have three one-offs you have one that's a basic one-off it's a two-off it did the month of May and then you had one full timer in Will Penske he was the outlier and Will Power he was the the outlier I think it just shows that with the strength of IndyCar as it is and the field, that it is extremely, extremely difficult to come into the month of May as just a May-only program and make the show. It used to be, it's shocking if a one-off can win the race. Now I think we're talking, you are very much in danger of missing the field if you're a one-off and you're not doing any other races. R.C. Anderson, your biggest fan. You are our Top Gun's biggest fan. Um, but it was their first race. It was their first event. It was their first qualifying. They didn't make it. And you look at Charlie Kimball. Yeah, had some history with that team, right? But I, I feel like A.J. Foyt Enterprises was really stretching themselves thin with four. And, you know, Kimball only in the car for the month of May. And then Pareto Autosport, obviously, their first event. And then Dryan Reinbold only doing the 500. So... There were some surprises at the back end, particularly Will Power. But when you start breaking it down, I think four of those five cars that were in the slow five, you could say, well, yeah, I can see why they're back there. 
Well, and Sage Karam, he's starting 31st for the third straight year, which I believe is some sort of record. Uh, he also started 31st in 2014 when he went on to finish ninth, but that was his first race. So, again, I wasn't too surprised when he had the speed early on. I was surprised that power made a mistake. It did not cost him uh, because it just didn't seem like, uh, you know, that Kimball, as you mentioned, and R.C. Enerson, they just never had the speed. Now, Enerson at least got up to speed, but he couldn't get that extra oomph. I mean, compared to, you know, Fast Friday to Saturday, yes, he ran, ran his fastest lap of the month, uh, on Sunday in his first run, but his second run, I mean, it just, it got worse. I will say this for everything that Top Gun did in what a month and a half, two months time. Right. It for, was impressive. They I were agree. competitive. They, yeah. they weren't, they weren't, they, they weren't, weren't an Lotus. embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They weren't Lotus. They weren't an embarrassment. I mean, yeah, they, they weren't, um, like inches away as far as the time goes or, or speed, it's not like they were a tenth of a mile an hour off. They were a full mile an hour off. But what they were able to do in a short amount of time, skeleton crew, small team, it was impressive. I hope they come back. Like, I hope they have an opportunity again, whether it's later this year at a race or next year for the 500. We never got that big sponsor that they hyped up. Uh, we, we never got that. And I would assume that, it took a full capacity 500 for that big sponsor to be a part of it. And maybe that's why we didn't get an answer. Yeah, most definitely. I, look, I, I, I dog top gun because you know, you were, you were supporting them all weekend and, and hoping for the best for them. But you, you mentioned it in terms of the ability of what they did is wasn't shameful but at the same time i think once we went through the slow five and will power you know saturday didn't even realize you can have multiple runs in the slow five he was <laughs> yeah. thinking fast nine and how that went so he wasn't even aware of the format of the slow five nor should he considering he's never in it but um once everybody went once i felt it was over i i felt like both charlie kimball and rc enerson did not have enough speed nor could they find enough to overtake simona and that 33rd spot so while it was um there was some intrigue going into it I feel like after everybody went one time, it was pretty much over. Yeah, I would agree, especially with the long delay after the first set of runs. Enerson somehow missing his spot and going last. Then after that, it was quiet on track for what, about a half hour? Yeah. Um, but after that, it's just it's tough to go again and in the same car with the engine already hot. I mean, it's just it's, you're asking for a lot. I, I agree. It seemed like that was it. We weren't going to see any drama. The only drama we saw was Will Power hitting the wall, br well, brushing, like you said, brushing against the wall in turn two on his, what, final lap and, and losing yeah. some speed. I mean, if that happened in an earlier lap or if he didn't have enough speed and he'd have to go again, I mean, he was screwed, right? I mean, they would have to uh, lose the time yeah, because he'd have to put new tires on, obviously. Right. And also, I, I saw or heard a report that he had a tow link issue. So, I mean, it's that car was was uh, not going to cut it probably again. From what I understand, Caleb, and there's a bit of confusion on what you could and couldn't do, is you could change the tires and put new tires on, and you would have to requalify. You would have to pull your time, as opposed to if he went out as is, he would still keep his time. Uh, and you couldn't repair the tow link whatsoever. 
So all you could really do is change the tires and you would have to withdraw your qualifying time. So it didn't make much sense, particularly after Simona went and after the other two went. He, he wasn't going to get bumped anyway. It would have been very interesting if he was put in a position to have to go again and see how that went, because I don't know just what condition that car was in to put, you know, another four laps on because that was a pretty decent hit coming out of that turn on his final lap. And something that any car deep throat who told me who, who sends us, you know, news and rumors, um, Penske and the team assumed they would be in the show and up in the order, from what I've been told, Chevy is way behind this year and it's backfired on teams such as Penske. Um, I, I asked, now this was after Saturday in, in the mess. Um, I, I asked Deep Throat, um, you know, on, on could they change the setup? And apparently if they were to do so, a f- full-on trimmed qualifying setup, they'd have to work all through the night with no practice time, that would have been a massive gamble. I mean, lucky for them, they found the speed, so it wasn't an issue. But, I mean, it it was surprising, but I guess we shouldn't have been surprised. This is the second straight year they missed the fast nine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're in a position where we should be absolutely shocked. I think media entities made it more shocking than I felt it was, to be sure. Now, if you would have told me the best qualifier at Penske would be Scott McLaughlin, then I would have kind of you know <laughs> scoffed at you. But you know the fact that they missed it and and missed it by a wide margin wasn't necessarily um, surprising to me. But we've heard throughout the week too, and the and and even over qualifying weekend that race pace is there for Penske. So while they weren't a factor last weekend, do you expect them to be a factor race day? Um, I don't expect him to be languishing, you know, in the 20s and toward the back of the field. But as far as leading laps, um, I mean, it's a tough ask. Uh, I get that as of right now, weather conditions look great for Sunday as far as ideal for arrow and and passing and, and, and on track action um, hovering around 70 degrees. That's. I mean, it's not perfect as far as for the ultimate performance of these cars. I mean, that would be, what, 60 degrees and overcast? Um, Which I, I feel like we're going to get close to that. Like the high, and of course we'll get to this a little bit later talking about the race itself. The high on Sunday in, in Speedway is 70 degrees with an overnight temperature in the 40s. So you could say it's going to take all day to get to 70 degrees. True. So I think most of the race is going to be run in the 60s, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start the race, green flag thrown a little after 12:15 Sunday with the temperatures in the 50s still. Obviously with the sun coming out that'll help warm things up a little little more, you know, earlier in the week they were talking overcast and 60s. Now it sounds like it's going to be sunny on Sunday. And uh, and topping out at 70, but you know, with again with those temps overnight uh, we we could you know in terms of that meaty part of of when the track is at its best, we could definitely be there at least for through the first you know third of the race, maybe the first stint or two. Yeah, I I think with that, I mean that gives the Penske's more of a chance. I mean th- this weather is going to help people starting in the back who you you would not expect to see in the back. Mark Andretti, Simon Pagano, uh, Will Power. Uh, who am I missing on that list? That, I mean, even Newgarden is what twenty first. 
So yeah, I mean, I mean that that's a su- surprise too. Yeah, it's and you know who's who's making moves early. I mean, can we see? Uh, can we could we see a Juan Pablo Montoya make up a certain amount of positions early? You can bet the Santino Ferrucci is going to go for it and try to make up some positions early on. So. Um, at the same time, you know, with how the weather is shaping out to be, I don't think you're going to see drivers take as many risks on starts and restarts as we have in the last couple of years. When it was brutally hot, when it was difficult to run in a, in a group, when it was tough to get a run, I think even you know throughout this month we've seen the drivers able to run closer together. The dirty air isn't affecting the cars as much. It still uh, affects it some. But I I think even before we saw the race day forecast, we felt like this year was going to be more conducive to passing. So maybe that goes along uh, with the driver's mentality saying, look, I don't have to take risks on a start or on the restart um, because I can make clean green flag passes. Whereas, when we had the races, you know, in the 90s and all that, that was almost uh, impossible. So uh, I, I could see a couple of drivers maybe playing it safe early on and, and you know, methodically moving up the field. But I'm sure there'll be a couple that uh, that really lay it down and try to really make up some positions early on. Yeah, I mean, you look at 2018 and last year. I mean, it was really tough to pass. Yeah, absolutely. And. You know, it was 80s, it was 90s, you know, what, you know, for the last, feels like, you know, three, four years, it's been at least mid-80s almost every day, uh, or every race day, rather. So, um, going to be decidedly different on Sunday. We'll see how it affects the racing and who it benefits as well, which I still feel despite, uh, you know, a couple weeks of running and practice, we still go into Sunday's race going, okay, Ganassi looked well in qualifying trim. Ed Carpenter Racing look good in qualifying trim. Where are they at in race pace? Where are they at in race setup? I think we'll, those are open questions that we're going to have to wait till Sunday to find out. Yeah, I would I would agree. And you know, you look at the other drama of qualifying before we get to the Fast Nine itself. Obviously, everything that happened at the end of the day on Saturday involving Dalton Kellett, uh, he goes out trying to protect his slot in thirtieth. And we're thinking, wow, they're withdrawing his time. Like he's going to have to requalify, and he's probably not going to go fast enough to bump out Simona. But what we didn't know is that if you're 31st, you don't have a time set. Basically, is the easiest way to explain this, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a complicated thing. You know, my dad asked, you know, what happened, and I couldn't explain it in layman's terms because I barely understood it myself. But Yes, you're you're basically out. You're not. You can't beat anybody that's officially not in the field, and you know everybody past thirty on Saturday was not in the field. So uh, good for Dalton Kellett because he was one of my picks to miss the race. So he qualified better than I expected at thirtieth. Yeah, you had Kellett, and who was your other pick? Anderson. So I, I hit at fifty percent. Yeah, I was zero for two. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, what qualified thirteenth? So. <laughs> yeah, and then he, Max Chilton, which is uh, one of the surprises, easily Pietro made the field without any drama either. So, and he's starting 29th. Um, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star basically summing up the, the Kellett situation, which again, it's a weird rule. Do you think they revisit this? Uh, I'll, I'll ask you that here. Um, but Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, their motorsports beat writer, saying 
in one tweet, Will's last run when finished disappeared. So when Kellett pulled his time, it wasn't competing against Power's previous run. Kellett completed a run and stayed 30th. Someone didn't beat him. Time ran out. Kellett into the Indy 500. It makes sense when it's explained that way after the fact. Um, but in the moment, everyone was confused. And I still haven't seen a clear answer if, I mean, Kellett didn't think he was in, right? No. And I don't and think the Foyt team realized yeah, that either. Look, you, as this is already a complicated system. Don't make it any more complicated because, you know, to explain this to a you know a casual fan, the qualifying system is is near impossible. <laughs> you can show them any amount of graphs and and explain it. It still is confusing. Like fans, we get it, but when we're asked to explain it, it's very very difficult. And then when teams don't even understand, and this isn't just like a Hinchcliffe not realizing he was out of time, you know, <laughs> when it was five fifty or whatever, and he thought he had till six six o'clock. Yeah. Like, th- like that's a rule they should know. But this, like, how would you know? Like, you know, teams don't know. It's it's a convoluted system. And yeah, I guess it's best for TV and best for for drama. But uh, I don't like it. And here's another further point that I texted you about, Caleb, over the weekend. Is a, is the gun went off at what five fifty? Correct. On Saturday. That's too early, in my opinion, because you have to remember, you know. IndyCar, when they used to run till six or whatever, it was it was before daylight saving, so it was getting dark and and cooling. You know, now it's still the heat of the day at five fifty, and when we, we we watch these teams, and once again it happened this year where everybody runs, and then for a good solid what ninety minutes to two hours, there's barely anybody on the track. Well, because it's so hot, and, it's and so rightfully hot. so. Yeah, no no doubt. And then Alex Pelot goes out. And crashes, and that scares more people away. And then everybody's just waiting and waiting and waiting till the track starts to cool down and to make another run. And that really doesn't happen that quick at 550. And if you draw, let's say you draw 31st in the order, and it's already pretty warm by the time you go, and the track never cools off because you're you're stopping at 550 as opposed to 650, then... You know, you may never get a great qualifying run. And so I, I think the rules are a little antiquated with the time as well. I feel like you push it back to 650 is the gun and allow the track to cool a little bit more because, you know, once the the sun starts dipping behind the grandstands in turn one, I feel like, you know, that's when everybody's like, okay, back to business. And there's just not that much time after that happens. I would be in... I like the sentiment of 650. I'm just saying for television, you're not going to get that hour on TV. But, but it wasn't on network anyway. True. It was on SN. I mean, um, I mean, maybe they, I think they were up against maybe hockey or something starting at six. I, look, I understand that, but it's not like you were slotting in it for an NBC. And I, I feel would, like if you can get six o'clock on NBC SN, you can get seven o'clock. I would rather they do what they used to. They used to start at 11 a.m., correct? So I'd rather yeah. they go 11 a.m. to 6, now 5.50, whatever, that's fine. Right. Um, but then, you know, if you can get network coverage from either 4 to 6, 4.30 to 6, or even as little as 5 to 6, I think that's solid, assuming the rest is on, you know, some sort of cable network and then a streaming platform like they did uh, over the weekend. And, you know, you mentioned Alex Pelot going back out, and he said he pushed for that, and it was shocking in real time to see him 
and, and the team make that move. And of course, that did not end well for him. He was lucky that he was still locked into the fast nine. Um, but all that delay, granted, this was way hotter than I can recall a qualifying weekend in, in quite some time. I mean, this was hotter than most race days. Yeah, very true. But at the same time, you know, you, you why have this huge this long qualifying day if half of it's not going to be utilized because in the middle of the day nobody's going out and you know Juan Pablo Montoya you know Errol McLaren SP was trying to get him to go out a second time and Juan Pablo was like no and then Alex Polo crashes and he turns to his team and goes do you want me to go out now which was on the on the TV broadcast you know he was just kind of <laughs> smart like no, it's it's not conducive to to qualifying, and then they see what happens to Polo, and he kind of says, "Look, I told you so," and he still didn't want to go out when he eventually did a second run. So, um, it, it's you got to figure out something. And I know each year is different, but by and large, it's going to be pretty warm when you're qualifying uh, for the for the for the race, particularly with how May's are now. It's it's it, there's not a lot of cool days in in mid to late May anymore, really, uh, compared to you know 15, 20 years ago. So um, I, I feel like that's a change. They need to do something because I think it's just a wasteful day. And to be honest, what did two to three o'clock on NBC get you really? I mean, my Nothing. dad tunes in, thought that's when qualifying started, and he's like, I missed twenty nine cars. So he had to watch Peacock, right? Uh, and then you're not, nothing gets solved at three o'clock. Like there was no point whatsoever for it to be on NBC on Saturday. None. I mean, we can say it was good for it to be on NBC, but I mean, it was completely worthless. I mean, you had maybe four runs that entire hour with a lot of commercials. I don't know if you tuned in, Caleb, but you know, half the time I spent fast forwarding between commercials and showing what happened earlier in the day. There wasn't much new content in that hour on NBC. And I, I mean, I was at the track both days, so I rewatched the Fast Nine, uh, like either Sunday night or Monday night, and maybe I saw the last row shootout or parts of. I don't even know if I watched that, but that was about it as far as TV goes. Right. I think with you know the the issue, I mean, is solved easily if you're getting closer to forty cars as far as entries go. Uh, with 35-36, which seems to be the max currently, having two engine manufacturers in IndyCar at the moment, you're, you're not going to get many more entries above that unless uh, we have a major change in the purse, which who knows what is happening with that after it was cut in half last year from you know the extra money that Penske had added on. I would assume it's back to full normal. Um, and then also you, you look at, again – you don't really have backup cars on the entry list, so guys aren't, you know, running two cars to just get a feel for things. So that kind of slows or, or sp speeds things up as yeah. far as the qualifying order. But also just, again, there's more time uh, available. I, I think a lot of this was the weather, but also you're, you're right. I mean, they don't have enough entries uh, to fill that whole time slot. I mean, the, the biggest drama of the day wasn't even on track. It came down to when teams moved to go get in line and which line you went into. So as exciting as that was, look, I, I mean, I was, I was glued to the TV all day Saturday. I was completely worthless throughout the, the entire weekend at home because I was watching. But, it, I mean, it was, a, 
is it really the intrigue you're going for? I mean, the, the intrigue should be on track, people trying to bump each other, all that stuff. The, the high drama late Saturday was how are they going to time it to get in line to make sure they're the last one going? Or who's going to go first and, and all this stuff. I mean, that's what it was. That's where the intrigue was. And it goes back to, Caleb, your point. It was when you're only bumping two, you know, that leaves a lot to be desired. And I think factoring it into is this isn't going to happen every year. But when Alex Polo went out and crashed, that scared a lot of, of teams away. I think Alexander Rossi makes another shot at oh, it. Absolutely. I think Ed Jones goes out. I think Pato Award goes out. All those guys that were close to making that fast nine were like, nah. We're good. We're good in row four, row five. I mean, with the way we expect the race to run, where there is going to be passing, uh, those guys were perfectly fine starting there after they saw what happened to Alex. Yeah, with the way that played out, um, I think that was a best case as far as people who are in the back getting plenty of opportunities to run again. And also, like you said, it scared away people that were, you know, 10th through 20th that wanted to run again. I mean, McLaughlin, uh, or not not McLaughlin, Newgarden ran again and got the same time, right? So, I mean, that was about it. And, and I think same with Montoya. So a couple of those guys ran again, but they weren't people who were competing for the fast nine. I think that was clear. I think that kind of changed things, honestly, for the better. I liked not having people just trying to improve a time to get into the fast nine. And instead, it was people who were fighting to get into the field running that last 90 minutes on track sure yeah and look next year could be completely different it could be the same format and we start off with a cloudy overcast day but it clears up later and everybody's just trying to get runs in in the first you know three hours i mean i understand that every year is different and unique with the weather i'm just saying more often than not you're going to have a situation like this where everybody gets their initial run in and then when that sun comes out or when you get into the heat of the day you're not going to have a lot of takers on track, and that's exactly what we saw. And quite frankly, it was a lot to fill. I mean, credit to NBC, because that's a lot of time to fill, not just over the weekend, but throughout the entire week that they did a tremendous job. But especially on qualifying day, you're showing a lot of replays and updates from Pit Road and and features that you know I've, I've seen two, three times now over the you know last week, week and a half. But, um, you know, it, it's not perfect. It, it's the best they can do trying to make it as exciting as possible particularly for tv but it's far from a perfect system for sure looking at the fast nine to wrap up qualifying i must say outside of hunter ray making it in uh and elio as a one-off well at least a, running a handful of races this year but this is his first race of the year i mean we expected the four ganassis to make it right yeah. uh we expected at least two, if not three, Ed Carpenter cars to make it, right? Um, yeah. And didn't did you not pick Dixon for the pole <laughs> leading uh, it? Maybe. <laughs> I think. And you I got did. a chuckle out of it, kind of. You know. You did. Of you did. Go f- you, you did pick Dixon. I, I picked Polo, which I felt good about until the crash. <laughs> yeah. At least he he still put in a, a good time, starting six. But I mean, outside of the Carpenter cars finding more speed to compete with the hondas uh which i guess was a minor surprise i wouldn't say that's a massive surprise i mean those cars are prepared so well they always seem to find a way every year to be quick i I think it's saw stat it was like six straight years for the carpenter cars to start uh have a carpenter car in the front row of the race so i mean this this shouldn't be a surprise anymore um but ryan hunter a making it i think was a a big surprise 
Elio making it was a minor surprise, but really not a whole lot of drama. I mean, besides the very end with Dixon edging Colton Herta and Renus VK. I thought it was uh, really exciting. I thought it ended up being a lot closer than I thought. I thought there was no way that Dixon was going to not be on pole entering Sunday, but it went down to what hundredths of a, a mile an hour, mid tenth, the thousandths. Yeah, it was close. Um, it was very close. I want to say it was the equivalent of six feet over the course of the run, uh, fastest field ever, passing uh, surpassing twenty fourteen. Which is something, let's talk about that real quick, because everybody talks about the top line speed, right? How, how they used to go, you know, qualifying speeds and all that. But there were some stinkers in those fields. Like, the difference between the top speed and the low speed was significant. Whereas at one point on Saturday or Sunday, I, I can't remember what day it was, the difference between pole and 33rd was uh, 1.1 seconds wow. on track, over two and a half miles. Is just amazing. So, well, ten miles. Well, yes, over ten miles. I'm sorry, which is even more impressive, yeah. right? It, yeah. Is one point one seconds over ten miles is the difference between pole and thirty third. And so, yeah, we may not have those top speeds and new track records, but competitively, it's as close as it's ever been. So, with Dixon getting the pole, and it was, I mean, it was a very slim margin. Uh, Herta, I mean. I really thought he put together the time to do it. I mean, same with VK, same with Carpenter. I mean, they were all so close. And then Dixon, of course, rips off a 232.7 first lap. And you thought, okay, this is probably over. It was, I think, closer than we would have expected even after that great first lap. Um, but but with qualifying, I mean, I thought overall, great crowd. Uh, we've seen different estimates, anywhere from twenty to 25,000 both days to 45,000 both days. I have to say the crowd was was pretty big in in turn one. I mean, obviously we were never going to get back to the crowd, you know, in the seventies, eighties, nineties. That's just not going to happen, uh, even if they get new track records. I mean, it's just it's not not in the cards. However, I think this is a a good return. I think a lot of people were were happy with that biggest qualifying crowd since twenty sixteen. I've seen reported out there by a Jenna Fryer, the AP. And even NBC, uh, pretty happy with the TV ratings, I've been told, as well. Um, I'm not going to really put a whole lot of stock into these as far as, like, is this good, is this bad? But they got over a half a million viewers both days, and I guess that's fine. 600,000 Saturday, 649,000 Sunday. You had the PGA Golf Championship going on with Phil Mickelson. Uh, you had NASCAR at Coda on Sunday, which was uh, its own disaster. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, again, solid. You're getting over half a million. I get that it's on network, but it's limited time, and it wasn't even the best time slots for the product on track either. Right, yeah, as we mentioned. But, you know, uh, bringing, you know, going back, you know, 1996-500 is when the qualifying record was set, I think, by Lion Dyke. Yes. Um, the actual – so he qualified with a speed – of, uh, you know, at what, 236, almost 237. Uh, the 32nd qualifier of the race, of course, um, 33rd uh, was no qualifying time with um, with Scott Brayton being killed. Danny Ungaius replaced him and started 33rd. But the 32nd qualifier ran a 222-1. So that's almost a, what, 
almost 15, 15 mile an hour yeah. difference between pole and the slowest qualifier. So that kind of shows you, you know, the, the, how, you know, how different the good cars were from the bad cars back then. And yes, I know it's a spec series. It should be like that. But at the same time, there's something to be said that, um, that these drivers are so close. All right. Shifting to Sunday, previewing the race itself. I mean, obviously it all starts with Scott Dixon who's sitting on the pole He's won once back in 2008. He's come close a couple of times. Uh, obviously, last year finishing in second to Takuma Sato, third in 2018. On one hand, it, it you feel like he's due for another win. I mean, he's just too good to only have one Indy 500. But then you also look at it and you wonder. I mean, this is a guy who he's won a lot of races, but for some reason this race, while he's been competitive, he, he and can lead lots of laps, I mean, even dominate some races, but he's not won them outside of 2008. Yeah, absolutely. So as as great of a driver as we all know Scott Dixon is, I think Caleb, you mentioned it. You know, he he almost he almost has to win another one, right? I mean, for his legacy, how we remember Scott Dixon, we'll remember him as a great driver, but people generations ahead you know you can point to rick mears was a great driver because he won four 500s i couldn't tell you how many championships rick mears won uh foyt same way i know he's one of fa- I, I i mean he's got i think he's got the record for championships seven but yep I, I i don't know seven eight but he's got four indy 500s right so 25 30 50 years from now when people are talking about scott dixon they're not going to talk about his championships they're going to talk about indy 500s and right now he only has one and i think if he wins a second i mean not only statistically will he surpass mario but i think the perception also will probably be the case at least as far as indycar is concerned absolutely and i feel He's he's a tough guy to root against. I, I've never. It, it's tough to identify someone that has been so dominant in their sport, whether it's an individual or a team, that is as well liked as Scott Dixon. Like when you talk about LeBron in the NBA, or Tom Brady, or Michael Jordan, or the Patriots, or whoever, they all have a fair amount of detractors, right? And a lot of it comes down to they just win all the time. That's basically what it is. But Scott Dixon wins all the time. He wins championships. He wins races. But, man, he's just not hated. He, no, not many people out there going, I don't root for Scott Dixon because ABC. Uh, he, he's almost universally liked, and I, I don't think anybody will have a problem with him winning on Sunday if he indeed does. You, you said ABC, and I thought, huh, anyone but chip is that <laughs> is that what you meant but then realize no abc reasons <laughs> yes um, um with, yeah. with dixon i feel like the any kind of disdain anyone had for him basically went away after what 2018 and then last year i think everyone was just marveling at what he did to start the season and just how impressive he was and it just as the the race wins on the all-time list as he kept moving up and then he's what tied with mario now i think as he got closer and closer you know, to 50 and then surpass 50. And now he could surpass Mario. I think people kind of recognized this guy's all time. And we're getting to see it uh, right now. It's almost like how I felt watching Kobe Bryant at the end of his career where, you know, love him or hate him. You're seeing one of the all time greats. You might as well appreciate it yeah. at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and guys like Kobe, you know, they, they didn't, 
they weren't taking the floor a shell of their former self. It wasn't, you know, Brett Favre playing for the Jets, you know, type situation. I mean, you know, Tom Brady is still playing at a level, you know, unheard of for his age. Um, and Kobe with all the mileage on him and in LeBron, too. I mean, those guys didn't slip much before they hung it up. They, they, they went away um, at the right time. And, and I feel like that's going to be Scott Dixon, too. When we talk about Scott Dixon and when he calls it a career— I don't think we're going to be looking at a Scott Dixon that you visually can see him and he's lost it. Um, not even just a half step. I don't think we ever reach a point where we're watching Scott Dixon compete in IndyCar full time and we're saying, man, uh, he's not as good as he used to be. I think he's a guy that's going to be perfectly content with hanging it up um, with a few good years left because of wanting to spend time with his family and enjoying retirement. But I almost feel like it's a guarantee that he wants to win another 500 before he entertains something like that. Because it has been a minute. It's been 13 years, Caleb. I thought it was interesting on the uh, NBC interview on uh, after his qualifying run, and he said, this place doesn't owe you anything. And I, I found that interesting. I mean, we've heard drivers say that all the time, but right. even to hear it from him, a guy who you know he wants that second 500 win really badly uh, at this point because he's, I mean, he's dominated races and, and not won. I mean, last year... Um, he, he won his first pole this year in IndyCar competition since the 2017 500. Which is unbelievable. I mean, it's crazy that that stat is real and that the perhaps the greatest qualifier in IndyCar history, Will Powers, starting 32nd and had to survive the last row shootout. I think that's the beauty of this place. And an overarching co- uh, qualifying weekend, we, we pointed out some things we'd like to see better, but in the end, who would have put Will, Will Power in the slow five? Who would have put all four Ganassi cars in the Fast 9? Uh, I mean, it was easy to see one, two, maybe three, but all four? I mean, crazy. I mean, um, in the end, like Scott Dixon said, this, the track doesn't owe you anything. There's always something that happens that you do not expect, and I expect that uh, coming up on Sunday starting at about 1220. So we look at contenders. Obviously, the list starts with Scott Dixon, right? I mean, he's the clear favorite. Yes. Now, you move past that. But that said, what is it? One winner from pole since 2009? Uh, Simon Pagenaud in 2019? Yeah, you're right, because Power started second uh, to Ed Carpenter in 2018. That's that's the one that I always kind of forget. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Elio won from the pole in 2009, Pagano in 2019. But, yeah, you look at the the other race winners, uh, 2010, Elio's on pole. Dario won 2011 is Tagliani. Weldon won 2012. Briscoe was on pole. Yeah. And you had Dario won again 2013. Um, who won pole in 13, or was that Briscoe? One of the years was Briscoe, and one of the years was, was someone else. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you keep going on the list. I mean, 14, Hunter Ray won from 19th. In 2015, Montoya, um, he won from what, 16th, 15th, 16th? Uh, yeah, it was, the back. it was in the teens. I mean, sure, Rossi so. started 11th in 2016. In 2017, Sato started, what, 6th? Um, 2018, Power was 2nd. Obviously, Pagina won from pole in 19. And then 2020, Takuma Sato started 4th. So you, you look back at all those years, and like you said, 
yeah, you want to have the pole position to start this race, but there are no guarantees over 500 miles. I feel this is a fascinating question here. Since 2009, when Elio started on pole and won the race, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's been 11 races, 11 500s, 12th coming up on Sunday. In terms of pole sitters and where they finished in the race since 2009, how many have finished on the podium? Top three. We I'm, know that there's I'm gonna one go winner. With, with including, so this includes Pagano, right? This includes Pagano. So I'm going to yes, go with we two. Have one winner. Yes. Because Ed Carpenter is the other in, in 2018. Ed Carpenter, a runner-up. So here, real quick, we'll go through. Elio finished ninth in 2010. Tagliani in 2011 finished 28th. Briscoe, fifth, he was on pole in 2012. Then it was Ed Carpenter in 13 and 14. He finished 10th and 27th. Scott Dixon in 15 finished 4th. Hinchcliffe in 16 finished 7th. Dixon in 2017 finished 32nd. Carpenter second, Pagano first, and then Marco last year 13th. So not just just one winner from pole since 2009, but only two podiums from the pole position since that time. I didn't realize Hinchcliffe finished that high. I thought he was 10th. I'll finish 7th. Wow. Per okay. Wikipedia, which is always right. <laughs> that's true. Wikipedia, <laughs> our trusted, reliable source of information. But, you know, that's interesting because it follows a a, a, a series from 2003 to 2009. Pole sitters, pole sitters finished 2nd, 1st, 8th, 1st, 3rd, 1st, 1st. Wow. Now, granted, the car has changed a lot since 2009. But when we talk about, yes... But well, really, about, since 2011. But you know, we're talking spec series. People always like to distract. It's like spec series. Look, that was a that was a time with not spec. Yeah, they had that. They had chassis know? competition so, back then. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's pretty pretty wild. So, look, it's always a rabbit hole to go down 500 records. It's a fascinating thing. But you can kind of see the ebbs and flows of things, and we're uh, kind of in one of those where it's not a guarantee that the pole sitter wins the race. In fact. They've struggled in the last decade to finish in the top three. That's fascinating to look at because I guess I I have a recency bias with Powers win starting second, which I always forget that he wasn't on pole that year. Um, And then Pagina winning from pole in 19 that I think, oh, yeah, of course, we'll see probably another guy win from pole. But like you said and looked at, this is more wide open than you think. So we get past Dixon again, clear favorite, (laughs) but – but I feel like it is so wide open after that as far as who you think has a chance to win. I guess let's run down five guys or or a gal who you would put on that second tier because I think Dixon's alone on, on that first tier. Sure. And I think the five people for me would be Colton Herta. Yeah. Tony Kanaan. Mm-hmm. Elio Castroneves. Alexander Rossi. And Pato Award. Okay, so I'm picking five. Yeah, you can pick the same five, uh, just any five. Well, I'll go Colton Herta, and I will go Renus VK. Okay. And I will go Tony Kanan. And then I got to go Elio. Uh, and then I'm going a little bit further back. I'm going to say Graham Rahal. Okay, that's a guy who I think going into the month, I felt really confident about. And then I was shocked at their lack of speed for qualifying, that if he was even starting a few spots higher than, what, 18th? If he was starting, say, you know, 12, 13, 14, even 15, I thought, okay, this guy, as long as the race car is strong, he's got a really good chance. Now, we know he will make up a lot of positions, 
but you gotta you gotta get yourself in position in the first place to get there. Thankfully, conditions Sunday look like they'll be ideal for someone like him to move up. I feel like we have contenders up front favorites if you will but we also have guys in the back of the field that the way we expect this race to run in the temperatures and how these cars are this year in traffic compared to the last couple years drivers that play the long game in the midfield i think have a chance to win the race and i think graham ray hall could be that guy that just kind of goes around for the first 150 160 laps and then he's there in the final 35 to 40 other guys i feel like i, I feel like the way this the race sets up you could have a joseph newgarden from 21st come into this the picture i wouldn't completely you know rule out juan pablo montoya starting what 24th um, I feel like you need patience in the midfield, particularly with how this race is going to be run. And I think both Ray Hall, Newgarden, and even old man Juan Pablo Montoya have the patience to play that long game, depending on how this race sets up and how it uh, it races among cars in I- very ideal conditions, as you said, Caleb. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Montoya, Newgarden. Obviously, I would throw in um, Simon Paginot. Um, I'd throw in Will Power and then even Marco Andretti. Um, I, I get that he didn't qualify that well, but I mean, he, he said the race car is better than what he had last year. And there was a fascinating Indy star story on what went down. He basically was pleading for an engine change on, on carb day. They wouldn't do it because he just said something doesn't feel right, and then naturally the team changed their policy for this year. That <laughs> the driver asked for an engine change. They'll, they'll make it happen. Yeah. Um, he basically felt like, yeah, I, I didn't feel like the engine was there, whereas this year he's pretty confident in the engine. When you look at uh, the starting positions, or wins by starting positions, of course, pole, number one, 21, uh, most recently in 2019. Uh, the second highest is 13, Pole position number three. So that's Renus VK. Of course, 11 wins from the middle of the front row. So that gives you a little bit of perspective. You know, 45 of the 104 Indianapolis 500s so far run have been won from the front row. Okay, so we we talked about Dixon, then next tier, and then kind of five people in the back. Dark Horses... Uh, just a, a couple of people. I'm going to go Connor Daly. I'm going to go uh, Sato, if that can even count. I, I don't know if you can he's count that. quietly in 15th. Uh, so I'll take that one out. Scott McLaughlin, I'll, I'll put him in there. Uh, Jack Harvey, and then Santino Ferrucci. Um, yeah, I would say, man, it's tough when you get into that backfield. Um, I, you know, I feel Will Power's a dark horse because of where he's starting. So I would pick Will Power, and I would also go with Connor Daly. And I've been a guy that, you know, as recently has been a detractor of Connor Daly, but he's in a carpenter car. He has speed. If he can stay out of trouble, a lot of it's not his fault, but if he can avoid getting caught up in any type of incidents early on and pick up pick off some positions. Uh, I feel like maybe he could be in that conversation later in the race because we expect Carpenter, as usual, to have pace, and he's in in that car. You know, starting on the was the inside of row seven. Well, and and Connor 
put together a result at Indy back in 2019, granted with Andretti Autosport, but got his first top 10. Uh, had an incident last year that he got collected in, I believe. Uh, but I, I feel like he is getting the experience. Like you said, the team is there. I just feel a lot more confident about what he can do this year. I think everyone, including he himself, thought he'd qualify better. Um, but as far as having race pace and having the ability to to move up from 18th, I mean, I, that doesn't seem like a far stretch to see him continuing for a, a top five late. Uh, I would agree. I, I feel, you know, the the we, we keep going back to it, the way these cars are a little bit more stable in traffic and the avoiding the 80s and 90 degree temperatures that, you know, make the track really slick and tough on grip. I think you can pick some guys that are in the midfield and back because of how this race is going to be run. All right. A few people who zero shot of winning. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Dalton Kellett, Max Chilton, um, Jared Hildebrand. Um, What's the highest starting driver that you say has next to no shot to win? Um, I go with Felix Rosenquist in 14th. Okay. What about you? I would go Fittipaldi, one spot above. Okay. Ed Jones, because he's run well there and had a decent car in qualifying, he would be a massive outside shot, but yeah. I think there's still that chance. Definitely. Um, what, what else? I mean, as far as what to expect, I mean, we're not expecting a, a stale 2018 race here, but we're also not expecting 2012 or 2013 either, right? right? Yeah, which you know, I guess was exciting, but on the way back, you know, when you look at it, you know, now you're like, man, you know, nobody wanted to lead when you when you were a leader, you were a sitting duck. So um, it, it was difficult because I don't think anybody wanted to lead those races except late. So I, I'm expecting, you know, a very, very good race. Every year I go into it, just let's get through turn one. Let's get through. And we've had a good run. What is it? Five, six years since we've had a lap one incident. Yeah, I you had me look this up the other day, and I'm trying to recall. Was it 2016? 2016 or 2015? Or 2015. Yeah, I think it was 2015, and it was Sage Karam crashing on the first lap, having some contact. Yeah, I believe that is correct. So, yeah, like you said, it's been a while, which is kind of funny to think about because of how much IndyCar has struggled, at least the drivers have struggled, on opening laps at other oval tracks in recent years. (laughs) Gateway in Texas, for example. (laughs) But uh, it's, I mean, best case scenario, like you said, a clean and green start. Also, when you go all the way back to our discussion earlier on how because of the weather, there shouldn't be as much pressure on these guys for track position. Right. And I I think that's that, you know, cautions breed cautions is the old adage. And I think that's definitely the case when passing is at a premium. But I feel like guys can... They always talk about each Indy 500 settling in, right? You just want to get a clean start, settle in, feel your car out. I feel with the last couple years, you haven't been able to do that because any passing opportunity you're taking because they were so few and far between. I feel like now, this year, conditions are right to really settle in, get a clean start, get through that first initial stint, that first pit stop, and really feel your car out and feel what you have to contend. Whereas I, I feel like it was more of a frenetic pace 
the last couple of years. Look, any opportunity you have, you have to take it. And so I think it's going to be a little bit uh, refreshing to watch a race that, you know, really should hopefully have action all throughout the 200 laps, all throughout the field, and guys that can really lay the groundwork early to steadily move through the field. Yeah, I, I just hope we see something better than last year in 2018. I mean, yeah. that's that's all I'm asking for. I don't think that's a very high bar to clear, though, either. Yeah, but, but that said, if there was a driver that I would pick that will lead 162 laps and win by two two and a half seconds, it would be our pole sitter, Scott yeah. Dixon. Scott Dixon, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. So fully <laughs> capable of doing something like that, for sure. All right, so... Uh, with that, as we wrap up our Indy 500 preview, don't forget you can always find us on uh, social media. Our handle on Twitter is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us. Just search for New Track Record. You can also send us an email. That email address is NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. You can find more about us and more episodes at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our week uh, weekly. Well, this week it's been daily uh email so that you can uh, never miss an episode with updates whenever we have new episodes out and you can also find us on your favorite podcasting platforms follow us for free on apple podcasts and if you're there do us a favor give us a five-star rating if you're really nice write a review we really appreciate it you can also follow us for free on spotify or wherever you find your podcast so with that that's a look at the indy 500 uh, qualifying recap and uh, preview of the race and don't forget the race can be heard on 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm in fort wayne on sunday broadcast coverage from the indycar radio network starts at 11 a.m green flag now justin i cannot find a clear answer on green flag i have seen 1220 i've seen 1245 the most consistent one i've seen is 1220 okay which fits the norm uh, in terms of, you know, we usually seem to get that start between, you know, 12, 15, 12, 30. But, um, you know, as of the IndyCar's uh, website right now, race 1220. That's what I see on the IndyCar app yeah, as well. So but, it's, it, it gets tricky and confusing, I guess, is how I would put it. And things, you know, if they get behind a couple minutes, it could be 1225. It could be 1217. Just tune in. If you don't want to watch the pre-race noon, turn on at noon, you'll be fine. Yeah, and, and NBC will have like 9 to 11 a.m. They're on NBCSN, then pre-race coverage at 11, proximate green flag, 1220. Uh, then they'll have coverage through, what, 4 o'clock? I believe and so. And then that's and when then the post-race starts on NBCSN. NBCSN, yeah. And then you can get ready for the Coke 600. Yeah, yay. <laughs> no Monaco this year, though, since no it's already Monaco, happened. No Monaco, which, uh, you know, my... My memories of Monaco are uh, are watching it in the press press area, the press press room at uh, at IMS. Can't do that this year. No, can't do it this year. It's weird. I'm usually walking through the gate, watching on my phone. But hey, we'll still get a, a double header of great racing on Sunday. Really looking forward to this year's Indy 500 fans in attendance. It'll feel like normal once again. All right, All time right. for the mailbag. And as we uh, shift to your tweets. Uh, starting off, Daniel SEM2004. So we're talking about Kevin Magnuson. He had some pretty positive comments. W was he at the track, right, uh, for pr a practice day? I believe he was at a practice, yeah. Um, obviously, we all know he's 
probably eventually going to do the Indy 500, right? But uh, Daniel SEM 2004 telling us on Twitter, KMAG isn't coming to IndyCar next year. He's under contract next year to race in Europe. So I don't think there's a conflict, though, as far as the Indy 500. But um, as far as doing a full season, sounds like that's not likely due to the WEC schedule. Right. But with just six scheduled races, I could see him being a partial driver. I could see him picking up a handful of races next year. I feel like Kevin Magnuson races in at least one IndyCar event in 2022. Is it the 500? Probably not, in my opinion. But I think he does a race, at least one. Yeah, I, I think we see something, right? I mean, we see something. Yes. We see something. We, we see Kevin Magnuson doing something somewhere in IndyCar in 2022, just not full time yet. Dakota Price at Demise 90. Uh, this is on Toronto. Was listening to the show and wanted to clear some things up about Toronto. The event sells the grandstands out every year and is very successful. Our government's horrible handling of COVID canceled the race this year, as well as every other major event. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we've understood. Yeah, but it, we reached, I, I asked our Canadian listeners to let us know because we, I think, have a preconceived notion of Toronto. We want to hear from boots on the ground. Tell us about Toronto. Is it in, in dire shape as we tend to think it is here in the States? And that's evidence that, uh, you know, no, at least in Toronto, you know, it's still a popular event. It's probably a moneymaker still for the city on top of, you know, the, the promoter with, with people and fans in the seats when they do have racing. So hopefully we're back in Toronto next year. Um, this went viral on Twitter earlier in the week. The Indy Star had a section... And the headline was, what isn't happening at the Indy 500 this year? And it was a picture of an F1 car uh, from, like, what, the late 2000s? Yeah, it wasn't um, even, like, a current. Yeah. And, and uh, Poet um, Shevchenko said, no one Googled Indy 500. Uh, Scuba Steve 85, that's not even a current F1 car, correct? Correct. DC Soda just sent the gif of the just a bit outside from, uh, <laughs> what, Major League? Yeah, Major League. With... Uh, what his name escapes me. Who's the announcer? Uh, the Harry, Do- Harry Doyle. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, I know that's his name in the uh, in the movie, but real um, life. Um, he's with the Brewers. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I can't think of his name. Bob Euchre. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That would have driven me crazy. <laughs> uh, Chucky WX. Now this this tweet props to you. Me? Because, no, to Chucky. Oh darn. Okay. Uh, Chucky too. You didn't mention Penske. Yeah, they will make the race, but not looking like Fast 9 if it's a track position 500 miles problem. So not looking like a track position 500 miles, but they did struggle in qualifying. He called his shot. did, yeah, for sure. And then uh, I posted a poll at the time. You know, it it seemed ridiculous. I was kind of being tongue-in-cheek, but does a Penske car get bumped Sunday? 74% said no, 26% said yes, and... You know, R. Cole said, depends if you count Simone as a Penske, and, and multiple people ha- multiple people have that question. And you know, I think you do. Technically, yes. I would yeah. I would say that counts. I would say it's a Penske light, but it's still Penske. It's yeah, not I, full, I full blooded agree. Penske. I mean, Penske's had aff- affiliations before with other yeah. teams. I mean, you go back to what, 2001 or two, they had one with like Richie Hearn or something? Oh, uh, well, yeah, the legendary Richie Hearn. Richie Hearn. Hmm, that might be a good name for a segment yeah, later. Speaking of, I got to find a driver. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So the uh, the Penske thing, uh, I bumped it, and Demise90 said, I'm still kind of in shock about this whole situation. 
What a curveball here. Willpower will definitely be the fastest in the session. Well, he was not. Sage was. I don't know about Simone de Sylvester, though. She may get bumped. What a bad year to be a Penske affiliate. I mean, those two cars essentially lucked out because Kimball just could not find any speed. Yeah. And RC Anderson, I mean, they were so far behind. The fact they even caught up to make it somewhat competitive was impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt there was no embarrassing performances throughout qualifying weekend. And, you know, that goes a long way because we've seen a fair share over the years. Transocean Trojan tweeting, I think he's very lucky that his other competition is Top Gun Racing and Simona Di Silvestro. Wanted her in the race, but it looks like she's well off the pace. I didn't feel like she was that no, far off the so. pace. I don't think so. I thought, I mean, she was not noticeable throughout the week of practice in a good way. Right? I mean, she was just solidly in a group. She was in the 20s somewhere where she was just, you know, and that's what what Sunday's going to be. It's it's not going to be qualifying trim. It's going to be race pace, higher in traffic. Uh, I feel like she has a good chance. What do you think, Caleb? If she came home top 20, it would yeah. be a victory for Pareto oh, Autosport? Yeah, top 20. Finishing the race and getting a top 20 finish, I feel like they, yeah. they would be thrilled with that. Yeah, I think it's already a victory for, if you ask Beth Preda to make the race, they're in the race, they're starting the 500. I think they've already won, quote-unquote won. But I think, you know, to knock it out of the park, I think finishing and getting a top 20 would be it. Uh, thanks to Bauer Racing finding this, uh, I'm pretty sure they are trying to stick to you. <laughs> and this is a uh, CGR IndyCar tweet. The legend Tony Kanaan lays down four quick laps uh, provisionally in third. This is during the Fast 9 qualify. Yeah, I, I've noticed their account has, has said that more and more. Uh, whoever runs the social media, if you listen to the podcast, one, thanks for the, uh, the uh, connection and, and the troll job there. We appreciate it. I mean, yeah. this is how we operate. So yes, absolutely. This is, this is very much in line with what we do. <laughs> uh, some comments on Dixon winning the poll. Chucky WX says, best ever post split, no doubt. Transocean Trojan, Tom Brady, LeBron, Scott Dixon. These dudes don't age. Yeah, right. Uh, NK Harden, AJ, Mario, Dixon, top three in that order. I think if he wins another 500, he'll pass Mario. I would also like to specify that this is based on their IndyCar careers only. Mario and AJ obviously had a far more diverse uh, far more diverse careers and accomplishments compared to Dixon. And Jay Holden, 356, says, Sam Hornish Jr. is better. <laughs> <laughs> That's an obvious troll. Yes. Um, let's see what else do we have here on tweets uh qualifying crowd and you know an, an issue with timing and scoring so on nbc and this was a saturday issue or a sunday issue as well i'm i'm not sure you tell me it was a both days issue frustrating very frustrating at the track same thing mostly a saturday issue timing and scoring was down for a bit and then they were having issues putting lap times up which having these fancy video boards i mean they look really cool but if you can't just flash the time on the screen and big you know, like they did back in the day with the yellowish, like gold color yeah, and, I mean, and, the, and black, and, and that's all you see with video of yeah. the car gunner. I mean, that's all you need, and we couldn't get that most yeah, of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, my every memory I'm going to have of going to qualifying from, from now and until I die is every time I go and you, somebody crosses the, the bricks, and usually when they're heading into turn one is when they'll post that time. You know, every, all your eyes go to the video boards, and... You weren't able to do that, it sounded like, Caleb, but track, at least, you know, sometimes. And it was frustrating to watching it at home is as they crossed the Art of Bricks, each, each, uh, each lap, you were waiting for them to put up the time and maybe slot them in to the grid on the left, you know, with the graphic, and they just weren't able to do that. So, 
You know, I equated it to the timing and scoring not working at like the USA Olympic trials or something like swimming. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, this is this is the biggest day outside of race day of the season is qualifying, qualifying weekend for the 500. And you couldn't get it right. And and if this was the previous regime, there'd be a lot of complaining for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we can't blame Roger for anything. And, and that's definitely going to be a point of emphasis because you can't have that happen. It's unacceptable. And Lee Diffie tweeted a response to someone because there are a lot. he got a lot of complaints on it. And he said, uh, based on the number of comments about this, I just made a call and found out that there indeed was a software issue between IndyCar Timing and our graphics supplier. I was doing my best to say times each lap as were PT and Townsend. We're getting our info from another source. So that explains the TV side, but at the track, there also seemed to be an issue. Uh, more so Saturday than Sunday, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, I, I feel that was an IMS issue. Uh, that's, in my opinion, not NBC's fault. They're picking up, you know, in perfect world, IMS's feed from timing and scoring, and they weren't able to do that because it was glitchy. So... Um, yeah, that's something that, that can happen, and it needs rectified immediately, which, knowing Roger Penske, that will not be a problem going forward. Uh, Adrew D. twinning, uh, really odd that it disappeared for several hours on TV. Not sure why it would have mattered if it was on NBC, NBC Sports, or Peacock at the time. I say with the Peacock coverage the entire time. Someone, I think it was T-Bell, mentioned NBC and it not working. Yeah, so life hack if you're an IndyCar fan. One, if you don't have Peacock, please get it. It's 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 like five bucks a month. It's not yeah, that just expensive. Just get it. Two, uh, watch the Peacock feed for practice and qualifying. You obviously can't watch it live for the race. We all understand. Yeah. But you're better off watching Peacock for qualifying f- for any event. True. Compared to the tape delayed re-air on NBCSN. Yeah. But and not just because it's tape delayed, but also because you get more information. Right. But I will say this was an aggravation for me both days, is with coverage going from Peacock to NBC to NBCSN and me doing other things and me also forgetting to set my DVR a couple times, both the Saturday and Sunday, I went into Sunday. Let me think how I did it and screwed up. I taped NBCSN's coverage but forgot to record NBC's coverage of Sunday. Okay, so I thought, okay, I'll just go back and watch them on Peacock and I'll just catch up or, you know, going to the night. But Peacock had just one continuous stream, both Saturday and Sunday. And if it's live, if it's ongoing, you cannot go back and start from the beginning. Correct. So I had to wait. Post it like an hour or so after. Yeah, I mean, it's it's posted relatively quick, but I had to wait till it was all over to start watching as opposed to them breaking up okay here's the peacock portion then here's the nbc portion then there's the nbcsn portion and the same thing happened on saturday so it was aggravating in that okay i can't watch anything because i have to wait till it's over so let's take saturday for example um coverage started on peacock right and if you didn't start watching it at, on peacock at 11 then you were screwed. You weren't able to go back and watch the first qualifying starting at 11 because you had to wait till it was all over if you wanted to watch it from the beginning, if that that makes sense. So I would like to see if it does indeed stay on Peacock going into 2022 and beyond IndyCar with NBC, break those up a little bit because, or let us rewind live uh, and go back and watch from the beginning because it was frustrating. 
yeah, that is the issue in, in live time, as you mentioned. I mean, you can't you can't move the slider around to go to a specific spot. Yeah, right. I mean, it's great once it's archived and to watch the replay. It's great, but when things are going on live, there's it's impossible to go back and and replay or start from the beginning. Now, could you change that with NBC Sports Gold? I I don't remember. Like uh, in me live either. Time. I don't. I don't, I don't think you could either. No, with that. but I don't think. I don't think it was a whole seven-hour, six-hour block of content. It was just one – on Saturday and Sunday, it was just one thing. I think they broke it up on NBCSN or Sport, NBC Sports Gold. It was like, okay, here's the hour on NBC that you can go back and watch. Here's the three-hour block on NBCSN you can go back and watch. Here's the NBC Sports Gold you can block. It was just one. And I'm sure production-wise, it's a lot easier to do that for NBC, but it's also incredibly frustrating if you missed any – amount of qualifying on either day and wanted to go back and watch it this from poet shevchenko i would like to know where nbc ends and ims production begins on various aspects of the broadcast great question we have no clue no nope, <laughs> no clue all i know is in terms of the timing and scoring issue i'd say it's more of an ims issue than nbc and then r cole this is on steve latarte being on the, the peacock pit box with jimmy johnson uh, having an indie expert would have helped. I was very weary at first of two NASCAR guys. Like the stories uh, about from JJ on sharing a ride with the legend TK. Yeah, that was a good story. Um, you posted a poll. Dixon, or sorry, not Dixon, Ganassi or the field. 36% said Ganassi. 64% said the field. Uh, indie underscore bet. Always field money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joseph underscore Bear. Uh, I just don't see how anyone beats Dixon. Yeah, I mean, he's the clear favorite. And, you know, of course, he was the clear favorite last year, was he not? Right. I feel like it's not cut and dry. I mean, he's the favorite for sure, but I don't think you can go into it and say, I, I don't see any way anybody else wins, especially with what we're expecting in terms of how the race plays out on Sunday. Zach Hurley, 8771. I think I agree that Rossi needs a fresh start. Watch him win the 500 now, LOL. So in that case, possibly he moves to a third McLaren, and Andretti brings Kevin Magnuson in. He's quick and aggressive, maybe a good fit. Again, as we mentioned earlier, apparently K-Mag is racing in WEC next year, so not sure that that works. Um, all right, your mailbag tweet. <laughs> a gif of a woman saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Because <laughs> I was preparing mentally to go read and, the mailbag. And it was pretty tame. Yeah, for mail, by mailbag standards, it was pretty tame for sure. So, you know, on levels of outlandish, it was pretty low on the outlandish scale. But uh, that's more indicative of just how crazy it can get, you know, evidenced oh, the, by last week. Yeah, the previous week, the <laughs> cicadas affecting the, the aeroscreen. I mean, that was the question of all time. And, and you know, it, it, in my mind, it wasn't the most ridiculous question in that edition of the no, mailbag. It was not. Um <laughs> So replies on that post, Shevchenko, not as bad as I was expecting. Yeah, agree. Um, Tyler underscore Allen, 75% willpower got screwed because of weird Saturday qualifying rules. <laughs> that was in quotes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's you know that was what he was predicting for uh, the mailbag. N.K. Harden, saw it was up and knew it would be filled with people angry about the qualifying format and the confusion from Saturday. Probably some people complaining about speeds or about how qualifying used to be. Let me know if I'm right. Yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> and our call, uh, thank God there are questions about ovals. <laughs> <laughs> right? Close. Okay. Uh, this, uh, this was an interesting um, blog post because it's not an article, but uh, WIBC, one of their show hosts, they, they had a blog up on their website 
and the title was The Indie Star Hates the Indie 500. Which WIBC radio station down there? Yeah, they okay. have the, the, yeah, they're an indie, they're a station that carries the Indy 500, gotcha. if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So, uh, pretty bold to say that now that I think about it even more, but um, some replies on this and- And basically what the story went into was pointing out all the negative spin correct. articles that the Indianapolis Star has done throughout the month of May. And, you know, it, you, you counted them up. There were a good six, seven, eight. Now- um, I, I don't know. I guess you can pick and choose headlines based on, you know, to fill the... You know, Part of it is the headline writing. I mean, they're, yeah. they're doing it for clicks. It's obvious. Yeah, look... But I, you get away from the sports-focused stories. Yes. That's where it gets iffy. But as far as the content by Nathan Brown and Jim Aiello of the Indy Star yeah, on the fun. sports side, yeah, I mean, yeah. their content's excellent. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, I don't want to, you know generalize or stereotype i just feel like newsrooms are getting younger and the indie star is no different and i feel a lot of young people's views that are in journalism tend to go towards you know environmental issues and and all that stuff and that seems to be more and more of a hot button issue with the indianapolis 500 where you talk about uh, the balloons or you talk about the amount of trash or no no balloon launch this year no balloon launch but you know I just feel like those story I, I just feel like there's more people at the Indy Star that are looking for a negative spin on the Indianapolis 500 and maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm not I mean be sure you know Indy Star could break some things down and say look we're not writing any more or less than we always do in terms of negative spins but I think there was a good point with WIBC is you know I. I Indianapolis is on pace. I think if they haven't already surpassed 100 homicides for the year, they're getting dangerously close. And you know, to to call out the Indianapolis 500 for negativity and and all that. I mean, they they got some bigger issues yeah. in Indianapolis to deal with than the, a the, balloon launch. The 500 is the event that put the sea on the on the map on a global scale, and it's the reason why the Colts exist in Indy, the Pacers. I mean, all these other things, not just on the sports scene, but a lot of the nice stuff is because the Indianapolis 500 became a marquee event and that allowed Indianapolis to grow and be more than just that. And I understand their leaders, you know, back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, who had a vision for the city. But let's not pretend that a lot of this would not exist if not for the Indy 500. Right. right? I mean, that is the the key cog in the wheel, if you will. But for the city, and and even it's a major thing for the state. Yeah, but at the same time, as somebody that was in print journalism for close to two decades, the job of the newspaper or any media entity is not to kiss the ass of any person or group or event or organization. Correct. It's to tell a story. It's to inform. And we may not agree with it. And we may be able to pick and choose the amount of articles that we feel are a detriment to the event. But, uh, look, I don't know enough and have looked enough to, to can tell you that the you know, Indy Star is intentionally doing this or, you know, increasingly negative stories of the Indy, you know. But they are the newspaper of record, uh, and they're entitled to do whatever they want. And if you don't like it, don't get a subscription or don't pay for it online. So speak with your with your pocketbook 
I don't see anything really truly wrong with it, to be honest. I mean, they're just telling stories and different angles for the same things. I mean, and that, that's another thing, too. It's like every annual event has like, what do you write this year? Right. As a person that I didn't, I never covered something in a newsroom the, the size of the Indianapolis 500. But let's take the Three Rivers Festival, for example, in Fort Wayne. You know, the biggest summer event and biggest festival um, in, 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 or in Fort Wayne, I think, either first or second biggest in the state. Um, every year you're like, okay, what do you write about now? I yeah. mean, it's mostly the same stuff, right? Well, except this year, you can talk about the, you know, they don't have an executive director. The parade right. was canceled again. Yeah. Everything so, seems in disarray. In unprecedented times, you have stories to write. <laughs> Are we right? truly in unprecedented times uh, anymore? I, I think we've, we can drop the, end, yeah. the U, I think. I think we're in precedented times. You think we're in precedented? So yeah. we're, we're slowly getting there. Yeah. But so uh, sorry to everyone, but I think we have shifted to precedented <laughs> times once again but the point being is it can be very difficult year after year after year to come up with fresh content uh, around an event and sports is easy that writes itself but when you try to do living and news stories on the event you're like no we wrote about that last year two years ago three years it could be tough and sometimes you take different angles and sometimes they can upset people but you know, look the indy star is not in the business of having to kiss the butt of ims or indycar or the indianapolis 500 so the people that are upset with it are kind of like i shrug and say you know that's not their job their job is to report and some things you're going to like some things you're not going to like and that's just the nature of things all right, so a lot of replies on this, not that it's a surprise. Poet Shevchenko says, it does seem awfully targeted. If they just want bad news to drive clicks, they can tap into the bottomless well that is the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You really think know. the Colts yeah. are that bad? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Colts person. but Me neither, but, but yeah. I, I do feel that Indianapolis Colts fans tend to um, feel like things are horrible when in comparison to other franchises, it's not. Yes, Browns. I, I would agree. Bengals, <laughs> Bears. You got it. You got it just fine in Indy. Tyler underscore Allen tweeting. Uh, it's funny. Indy Star wants to call something diminished when they're a show of what they once were. Well, Ouch. that was that was the biggest burn I saw on that post. That yes. was uh, that's not wrong. Uh, and then he followed that up with, and they tuck in at the very end of their trashy article about how IMS actually pays local organizations to pick up all the trash. So sure, keep trashing a historical event. Helps keep Indianapolis on the map. I could stop spending my money in Indianapolis if they want. Yeah, I mean, kind of, I think we touched on that earlier. Uh, Poet Shevchenko, it, it seems almost as bad as what Jalopnik has become. A car website now dedicated to bashing cars and racing. Yeah, I don't know if it's that bad yet. <laughs> right. I know that was a, when I first got into to NASCAR, I mean, I used to read that uh, site almost daily. Not anymore. They, they, uh, yeah. yeah. He's got a lot it's, of jaded minds over there. Yes. Now. And then uh, Hickey93. Are they wrong? Question mark. Uh, I mean, not entirely. And then someone else, R. Cole, said, ugh, Gannett. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that says it all. That in the end does. I mean, Gannett, if you don't know, owns a lot of newspapers and media entities in the United States and is well known for just sucking the well dry of every single cent they can possibly make from an entity before they leave its carcass behind. But unfortunately, that's really print media now. It's very difficult to find. Um, a newspaper that's not struggling, particularly in big cities. So uh, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, as somebody who's experienced it, 
and been in it in the day-to-day operations, it's easy to say, well, yeah, of course it's going to go go downhill because you know they laid people off and and all that. Look, the dollars and cents haven't added up in a long time, and they have to make certain moves. And unfortunately, when you have to cut people, you have mistakes like putting a Formula One car on the front of your I, living session. I saw an article uh, today, as we record Thursday, that had. Uh, Scott Dixon winning in 2009. I'm like, this is a simple error that should have been caught. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, those are the things that, uh, you know, copy editors, the, the, the people that go over the copy and fact check and correct mistakes and spelling and those kind of things, those are always the first people laid off at every newspaper. Correct. And that's unfortunate because as a journalist back in the day, I was the worst self-editor. I could not read my stuff <laughs> and edit it because in my mind, I'm hearing it and reading it the way I want it to sound, not how it reads. And so you'd have to pass it. So, Caleb, you'd, you'd be a writer, and I would say, Caleb, can you jump in and read my story and vice versa? And that goes the same with page design. You know, can you look at this because I can't, you know. Uh, it's it's difficult to not to catch every single mistake. And quite frankly, you make bad mistakes in newspapers when you don't have enough people. And that goes for a lot of different industries. You know, if you don't have enough people on the line of, of a, you know, a car assembly plant, then you're probably going to have some mistakes in your cars if, you know, some key positions are missing. So that's just one example. And unfortunately, it's a very public mistakes when stuff like that happens. Leonard PDX, uh, strange the NBC uh, NBC would be having a sweepstakes for next year's Indy 500 if they weren't broadcasting the race. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw that tweet. It's a, a contest. Uh, NBCSports.com slash Indy 500 giveaway. You can get a, a VIP experience package that includes uh, a two-seater ride with Mario Andretti. So, yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is, you know, coupled with the AP story that I think came out today. Yes, about NBC wanting IndyCar back now, and, and in the the in the words of Sam Flood, he said, "What very 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 pleased as far as the relationship with IndyCar and having IndyCar." Really, I mean, there are a lot of varies in the quote, and Sam Flood's an NBC exec. Wow, yeah, um, I, I think it said all the right things. I think it comes down to. Um, I think it comes down to money, right? So um, from what we understand, the production of the races is fronted by IndyCar. It was. A sizable it, amount. Or at least it is in the current. Deal. Right. And I think that's what Roger Penske was looking to get away from. To get, yeah. It, I forget the terminology on yeah, it. Yeah. He basically wants, you know, I want he wants a network that's taking care of the production, right? Th- and, that cost isn't being eaten up yes so you know is that all that nbc is willing to offer going forward you know it's going to stay as is and is roger wanting to go elsewhere to try to uh, you know better the product's production or make a little bit more money or visually see you know what he can see look yeah i'm not doubting roger penske at all i just you know we've talked about this before caleb is man i think the tv deal right now is as good as you're going to get no matter where you go and i think that counts for a lot but if roger can find a better deal somewhere then we'll see how it turns out but i i by and large have been happy with nbc and to be honest i hope it stays 
I do too. Now this from IndyCar Deep Throat, and this is a, a fascinating twist to everything. Um, IndyCar Deep Throat telling me, I have been getting some info over the course of last night and this morning, which I find interesting. Apparently as of last night, NBC is planning on putting together a bid for IndyCar next year, whether it's the full season or a part-time schedule. Word on the street is that they have been very happy with the numbers so far from the month of May, especially qualifying numbers this past weekend. Depending on how things go, IndyCar could have a CBS, NBC, and one of the online streaming platforms bid for races or the entire season. So that's a twist. I mean, you have basically there's negotiations going on, and this is a good thing. I mean, you, there's a demand for this, and it sounds like they're going to get more money than the current contract, which is, I think, all IndyCar can ask for. Right. I, I feel like... Um... Look, I, I feel like IndyCar needs to get their share uh, within reason, but I also feel like IndyCar needs to value what NBC has given it. So if the ratings are healthy, or at least everybody's pleased with the ratings and what direction they're going in, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a, a product of IndyCar, but I think it's a product of NBC as well. So would you want to walk away from that into an unknown with, say, CBS or whatever, and so I think there's something to be said about that, not just, you know, IndyCar chasing the money or chasing the production or whatever, but I also think they need to look at NBC and say, hey, they've they've done a pretty good job at um, at really putting added eyes on the product and marketing this thing. And I think that's worth a lot, and I, sh- I hope it's not being discounted. I don't think it is. And, you know, the marketing has been way more impressive than what we saw before when it shifted to NBC. I think that's a huge, huge start. And, and you got to think, like, this is just the second year that NBC has had the contract that's been a normal year. Correct. You know, I mean, last year was just chaos. So um, I, I feel like there's still a lot to to be proven by NBC, and I, I really don't think they want to walk away from it. And that's evidenced by the story that came out from the AP and so it all just comes down to facts and figures and what Roger Penske wants to get for this product. Um, but, you know, hopefully NBC and IndyCar work it out because uh, I feel in the end it's still their best their best bet. All right, you posted this Carb Day Eve question. Uh, which non-Delta Force Indy 500 TV intro is your favorite? Why? Well, my favorite Delta Force, I can point out, is 94 because that's Mario's last race. That is my favorite one by far. Is that the one of the eyes in, of Mario yeah, Andretti? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Um, but as far as non, uh, honestly, I could not tell you. Um, I think 2011 was pretty good. I watched one. Th- this is why I was doing this. I was I got to work and I was drinking my coffee today and uh, eating my uh, my my oatmeal. Actually, if you want an insider, oatmeal and hard boiled eggs in the morning. Steel with cut oats or uh, Kodiak cakes. So very oh, okay. close. Yeah, high protein. Yes. So um, I was eating that. I was like, you know, I'm gonna poke around and i'd seen all the delta forces you know ad nauseum there's one that i can't remember which one it's with it's a recent one with carl fisher um is that the 2011 one i don't know which one it is um it's one where he's you know he's they show him and he's you know it starts with him you know, with the, the classic picture of yep. you know him with the drawn in the dirt and everything, I can't remember what year it was. I thought it was recent. I thought it was like 2013 or 2014. Well, while you search for that, um, run through everyone else's uh, opinions on this. Uh, DC Soda says the early 80s ones 
are pretty underrated. I think 1984 is a good example. Fun jaunty music and Jim McKay giving us the rundown is always a good combo. Uh, N.K. Harden says the ABC Wild World of Sports theme they used to play back in the 60s and 70s. ABC theme from the early 2000s makes me think of Marty Reed, Todd Harris, and Scott Goodyear <laughs> calling IRL races not good times. I like the uh, the ABC IRL theme music, I think, was excellent yeah. back in the day. Um, Racer Mac RTP won either the 2009 one or 2016 when they gathered several tenured ticket owners to commemorate the 100th. The guy says, this will be my 90th 500. I got chills up my spine. That is a streak. Uh, Real Indie Trump says, 2012, there's a road before me. Tribute to Weldon, focused primarily on the modern stars with only a nod to the past. Ground level shot or car hurtling toward the yard of bricks is fantastic. Uh, Heliot94 says, none. Um, (laughs) I usually join the broadcast like a lap from green, but the few I've seen just can't hold a candle to Delta Force and Paul Page. Uh, it was the 2013 opening for NBC with Carl Fisher. Go back and watch that one. I think it's it's pretty well done. Um, and the one with, uh, man, who is it? I don't know. Once again, I'm hitting the... Uh, they did one on ABC with an actor. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's, um, that was 2011. Uh, William Feichter, I think, is his name. I think that was 2011. I think so. That one was really I good. I thought that was good He's as walking. Well. Yeah, he's and then walking they have the, the cars. Yeah, like he passes, by the, him. passes yes. the wasp. And half of it, like, I think is actually the wasp on the track. And then others, you know, like you said, are going past him. Like, I thought that one was, was good, too. So I, I agree. I think that one, like, won an award. Really? So, yeah, some good good thoughts. Good question. Con- conversely, somebody posted it earlier. I, for, I do not remember this. Is the weird one with Joseph Newgarden... That was like uh, him in like a bathtub of milk. Oh and yeah, he was in like uh, like black latex, like bodysuit. Yeah. Like it was like it was bizarre. I don't know if that was an intro or just like a random promo thing. But you that sure you're one not mixing that up with uh, Hinch's uh, ESPN the magazine no. body issue? No, but have you ever <laughs> seen that video though? I know what you're talking about. Like, it was very I had, weird. I had never seen it, but I watched it. Somebody put it up on twitter and it was bizarre it was when he was with sarah fisher hartman racing i remember that but uh yeah it was uh that was disturbing to say the least but (laughs) yeah i thought it was a good question because we always fall back on the delta force ones in may and for good reason but i think there's been some quality ones at least in my opinion uh over the years i can't remember the wild world of sports ones it's cool to go back and watch those on youtube but i think there's been some recent ones in the last 10 and 15 years that have been pretty solid all right, this from Poet Shevchenko as we wrap up the mailbag. Uh, some juicy news buried in this article is that Antonio Felix da Costa may race an IndyCar at Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, and Portland this year. Uh, and that's from the-race.com. Uh, remember, he's in Formula E, and this would be with Ray Hall's team. He tested with Ray Hall. So, again, not a huge surprise, but I'd still say a bit of a surprise, right? I mean, I don't think we thought this would happen this year, but – you know, maybe eventually. Yeah. I mean, do we, do we feel like he's a, like where, like are we thinking Andretti? Are we thinking Ray Hall? Ray Hall. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where else it would be. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see formula E champion, right? Yeah. So, uh, and he had, was it, was it official that he had a test last year? Was that like a rumored? No, he had a test with Ray Hall. So I, I think it comes back to funding, right? We always hear about that third car and if they can get funding for it. 
All right, time for news and notes. Uh, I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but a great article in the Indy Star by Jim, Aiello, Jim Aiello on uh, Marco Andretti. Uh, some great comments there, so definitely worth reading that. Um, let's see. Detroit will be at full capacity, and uh, the paddock will be open. That's just two weeks yeah. from Indy 500. I mean, it makes sense because we're back in precedented times. That's true. So again, here here we go. And Road America also, uh, they will have open paddock, right? Yes. Yep. So again, open the doors, let everybody in. Yeah, we're we're opening up the uh, the racetracks once again. So yes. paddock access at Road America and Detroit. So again, hopefully we won't have to do any more of these types of stories moving forward. This will be it. It won't be a surprise after this. Yeah, let's uh, get back to normalcy. For sure, where we just assume everybody who wants to go to the race can go to the race. Correct. Uh, Let's see. What else we have? Um, There's just so many little things. You know, we mentioned the NBC story. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, Indy 500 tribute car. This was weird. It almost happened. Marshall Pruitt has the story on racer.com. It was going to happen, and then... uh, what the they just decided not to do I think it van halen just kind of woke up and be like yeah yeah i just kind of changed my mind because it just said like van halen backed out so that would explain why there are a lot of rumors about what Oriole servia getting the seat right and then suddenly it switched it to stefan wilson. wilson yeah makes sense which again if you missed the interview with stefan wilson we have interviews with sage Karam, jack harvey and stefan wilson all up at the moment plus doug bowles that will be released friday so Plenty of content for you this week. Um, let's see. Da-da-da. Do you see the the? I haven't watched it yet, but the Sam Schmidt story. I mean, one he can like stand up again because of some technology. Yeah. And the Today Show, which we'll do a live broadcast from the 500 Friday uh, on Carb Day, but uh, they did a story on him, so that's really really cool. Hunkos Racing. Oh, hey. This translated thanks to Merrick Speed, Andy Merrick. Um, Ricardo, my intention is a return to IndyCar ASAP. Doing the full championship is ideal. We practically have two complete cars. This year we'll try to do about two races. All right. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, what do you Your want favorite. to say? It just, you know, it's third OEM talk. It's international race talk. It's Hunkos racing talk. Um, I, I feel like, like, once again, Ricardo wanting to do a full season look take the Meyer shank approach if you can get two races in this year cool and then next year do five counting the 500 and then the year after do eight and then gradually work its way up right i think we've seen it fail once when he just tried to jump into the deep end it didn't work no it did not um jimmy johnson had a lot of comments on ovals uh over the weekend uh, these Man, they just kept, you know, Indy Steve 44. Letard, every every time they were talking to the pit box, would would he keep a- asking egg him on? Basically, yeah, absolutely. Um, so these pulled from Indy 44. I often wonder if I would shine a little bit more on the ovals. That was Jimmy. Also, Jimmy. The next step for me is to drive an Indy car in an oval. And then Nathan Brown with this tweet: uh, I just need to systematically work through this, both to make my wife comfortable and make myself comfortable. There's a chance that was also Jimmy. So a lot also. Uh, on the Peacock broadcast, I believe on Fast Friday, Don Cusick, and again, this is mentioned in our interview with Stefan Wilson, um, but Don Cusick definitely plans to be a co-entrant for 2022 at the 500. Uh, that's good news for Stefan Wilson. 
Dryan Reinbold aiming to return to full-time IndyCar competition at a Motorsport.com article. Okay, so that has begun. Ray Hall third <laughs> car talk, if that begins. Foyt, uh, what, Foyt third car talk as well? Um, yeah, apparently. I think that's where we're at, correct? Yeah, I think that's where we're at, so... <laughs> Um, let's see what else. Oh, sad news. Uh, former IndyCar race winner Andre Ribeiro died of cancer over the weekend, just 55 years old. Um, that's pretty sad. I know what he was, he was pretty close to one of the drivers. I'm trying to think of who was it Elio? Was it Canon? Yeah, I think it was uh, Elio. I think it was Elio, pretty sure. But yeah, they were talking about that last weekend. Um, let's see. FIA will look in the IndyCar's rule on deleting times for drivers who cause red flags in qualifying. Yeah, that's after Charles uh, Leclerc's uh, uh, pole-winning crash. What was more bizarre, that and then uh, him not even starting the race, or not being able to get the wheel nut off Valtteri Bottas's car? Yes, both. <laughs> it's a, I, I, I think it was today they finally got that. Correct. Not off? Yeah, I, I, I saw them tweet out a video on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2021 Formula One, and you can still strip a nut on a, a Formula One car. I mean, I guess I guess it happens. I've just never seen it before. Yeah, that was it was a bizarre like five laps for Mercedes there that turned a very boring race into entertaining for about five to ten laps and yeah. then went back to being a very boring race. I was set up to win some decent money. I took Leclerc to win the race before qualifying. And I took Lando Norris to get a podium before qualifying. And there they were. I think Lando started fourth or fifth. Uh-huh. Leclerc was supposed to be on pole. I get a pole with, or I get a podium with Lando. Of course, probably would not have gotten it if Leclerc had started, but I was setting up pretty good. Could have won some decent money. I won on Lando, but uh, the Leclerc bet would have paid out like 150 bucks. Whoa. <laughs> so Charles owes me one. We'll just say that. <laughs> He has never finished a race at Monaco, still. It's just wild to think about. And you know what's so funny watching Monaco, because I've never, this may be the first Monaco I've ever watched beginning to end, or at least the majority of it. And it's even a joke which within the broadcast of Sky Sports that there's no passing. Yeah. Like, it's just like, um, it's just like a running thing, like... You know, oh, this driver, you know, thought he could, you know, had a good car, but it doesn't matter because he's not going to pass anybody. I, I, I like it's just a, a, everybody knows it. Like, they even just, they even were joking, like you said, on the broadcast. I think uh, Martin Brundle was making jokes about it. Yeah, I it's mean, just, it just shows how bad it is. I mean, and, and you know, they you know, Crofty's going on and saying, well, you know, it's it's more about the tradition and and race in Monaco and all that stuff, and you know, guys kind of rationalizing it and. To an extent, yeah, because, you know, F1 is very much about, you know, pageantry and presentation and all that. But at the same time, it's just there's nothing on track that happens after the first couple laps. And you can say that tongue in cheek for the majority of F1 races, but it's seriously true at Monaco. I don't think I saw a single on track pass. I saw one Haas pass another. Oh, for okay. 19th. On, the, on the first lap. Yeah. In okay, the outside of that. Yeah, that's it. That's all I saw, too. Uh, a couple of Ray Hall stories. One, they landed a new partner in Sugarland Shine, official spirits and moonshine of the team. This, according to Adam Stern, uh, deals initially for one year, includes a mid six figure spend with the team, along with a major business to business component with fellow team partner High V. This High V thing, I mean, it's turned into a, a sponsor boon for them. It yeah, seems. absolutely. It was just kind of the another rotating sponsor. 
But now it's becoming kind of very United Reynolds-esque in terms of um, being one of this more, you know, consistent sponsors for the team. And we don't have Hy-Vee in Fort Wayne or in Indiana, but elsewhere in the Midwest, I mean, I've seen people tweeting, and there's a lot of activation by Hy-Vee for IndyCar in the Indy 500. Yeah, most definitely. I- impressive. It's and We're it, seeing what we thought we'd get from Target. <laughs> yeah, right? And it got front and center with uh, Santino Ferrucci crashing. <laughs> True. Uh, that it got some 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 playing time. Uh, and then this from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Santino Ferrucci says he's kind of split when asked about what his ideal racing future would be. Says uh, he'd both love to be in full-time uh, uh, Ray Hall car as well as a Gibbs car and NASCAR. Says he wants to do both down the road regardless. I, I think the answer is who's going to put him in a seat full time. Correct. I think he'll I mean, do the Indy 500 either way as long as he can make it work schedule wise. Right. I mean, if he's racing in Cup with the Coke 600, I don't know if Santino Ferrucci's trying to double anytime soon, at least early on in his Cup career. But I mean, the answer is who's going to hire him to be a full time driver, and that's where he's going to race. And he just didn't have that going into this season for IndyCar, and that's why he's over in Xfinity. All right. Milk choices. Uh, Ed Carpenter, Simona Di Silvestro writing in buttermilk. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya writing in chocolate. Has he always written in chocolate? I'm yeah, not sure. He, no, because he's won twice and he didn't drink chocolate milk. Well, you can't. You you can only have skim. But it's an option. Or did he write in chocolate? No, he wrote it in. Uh, whole 2% or skim are the only official options. I think if Juan Pablo Montoya wins his third Indy 500, he should be able to drink whatever the hell kind of milk he wants. <laughs> But they got to have regular, you know, milk. For, I mean, it's for branding. Let's be real. Uh, I guess. I understand. But I'd also just have a little miniature cart in there. After he drinks the white, he pulls out the chocolate milk and just pounds it. You know, the one little thing that you got in elementary school, you know, little yeah. cartons. Yeah, the little Prairie Farms carton. Yep. There you yeah. go. Yeah, back in the day, I remember those. Okay. That were never enough. Like you had like <laughs> three drinks, and you're like, crap, I'm out of milk. I haven't even eaten my lunch yet. All right, something to keep in mind. Nick Yeoman tweeted this uh, when making any 500 picks in Yeoman on Twitter of the IndyCar Radio Network. Ages when they won. 2020, Sato 43. 2019, Pagano 35. 2018, Power 37. 2017, Sato 40. 2016, Rossi 24. 2015, Montoya 39. 2014, Hunter Ray 33. 2013, Canon 38. 2012, Frankiti 39. 2011, Weldon 32. 2010, Frankiti 37. 2009, Castroneves 34. Common thread. Uh, guys hmm. all in their basically mid to late 30s, a few in their 40s. Rossi, the only exception. Yeah. So this favors Dixon, Elio, TK, Hunter Ray. Um, you can even throw in. Who else would you throw in with that? I, I mean, uh, winners? Yeah. As far as guys, you know. 30 plus 30 plus you throw in you know new uh, garden maybe sato yeah sato again true ray hall yeah so um yeah i mean uh it could end up being an old man's race you know we so far it's been an old a young man's season four out of five races but uh, we'll see if that trend continues or if the old guys emerge once again led by of course mr scott dixon at 40 but we had a couple other stats that we looked up, Caleb, uh, for the 500 when I was, once again, bored at work. It seems to happen a lot. Uh, going down the rabbit hole that is the list of Indianapolis 500 records on Wikipedia, if you're ever looking for an hour or five to fill, 
just go to that page and then just start scrolling because it's fascinating. But uh, if if Scott Dixon wins on Sunday, he will tie Bobby Unser for fourth all time for years between victories at 13 years between victories, 2008 to 2021. First is Al Unser, senior, at 17 years between wins, at least his first and his last. He had a couple other ones in there, too. And then Dixon also, isn't if he leads a lap, he... He, uh, if Dixon leads one lap, he surpasses A.J. Foyt um, for uh, – they're tied for second for most races led all time. Unser uh, is also in the lead for that, right? Uh, no, TK is with 14. Oh, oh, sorry, most races led. led okay, correct. But then also laps led. Yes, laps led is up there. I think he can move up – I think in a second? To like second or third. Yeah. Um, but I know Unser is the all-time laps leader, correct? Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, he can jump a fair amount of guys and TK's up there too, actually, actually Elio as well is up there in total laps led. Um, willpower currently holds the record for most consecutive 500s led at eight from 2013 to 2020. Of course, starting 32nd this year, he may have trouble keeping that eh, record going. Pit sequence. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you keep him out there just to add you know, I no, I don't think they would do that. I don't think it's just a, for that sake. I don't want to record. Here's the, the I think the most impressive out of all these records I looked up and stats is that Elio holds the record. He has run the full 500 miles in 14 straight races entering Sunday. That's he, just that's wild. He can make it 15 if he stays on the lead lap and finishes all 500 miles. That's even after uh, a couple of years. I mean, he had some bad races like. Last year he wasn't that good, right? Was wasn't he like twenty eighth last year? Yeah, uh, didn't finish well at all. So uh, it's pretty wild that stat. I think that's amazing that you know fourteen years, not just you not making a mistake that takes you out, but not getting caught up in anything, um, not just being in a car that just doesn't have pace and over two hundred mile or two hundred laps you fall a lap behind. It's it's pretty amazing. So. Uh, and, of course, uh, leading winners by team. Everybody talks about Team Penske up there with a lot, with 18, right? 18. Mm-hmm. Um, Andretti, you know, if you want to go Team Green, Andretti Green, uh, Andretti Autosport, six. Their second was six. Um, of course, the illustrious Lou Moore with five wins, most recent coming in 1949. I feel like you were at that race. <laughs> hell of a that race. was that was the first year the 500 was broadcast on tv how right? about that see yeah um uh, blackout lifted yeah right? for central and unit not that that's a surprise yeah for sure but uh, chip ganassi sits at four wins at the indianapolis 500 going for his fifth and with all four of his drivers starting in the first three rows he's got a decent shot probably the best shot out of any team to add a fifth Indianapolis 500 win. All right. I need to know your random split era IRL slash champ car slash cart driver. All right. Well, I had him up here. Then I went down the rabbit hole of the uh, driver or the uh, driver intros, the TV intros, but I found him. Uh, we're going to go with Michelle Alboreto. Ooh. Uh, of course, raced. And, and people familiar with Formula One will know Mr. Alboreto won five races in Formula One. What? I, I have never heard of this guy. 1981 to 1994, uh, no championships, but uh, started 194 Formula One races, 
uh, had sorry, five it's wins. Grands Prix. You go, sorry, Grands. Is it Grands Prix or Grand Prix? Is it'd be, it'd be <laughs> Grands Prix. Okay, you even <laughs> added the French there. Yeah, uh, the Grands Prix. But um, he also uh, obviously raced many years in Formula One. But uh, was an open wheel in was, 1996, wait a second. It, his, his name actually this is this is clicking. So I'm reading Will Buxton's book, uh, My Greatest Defeat. Uh huh. And he was talking with um, I want to say it was Elaine Prost. Uh, was this guy Alberita? Was he uh, finished second in the championship with Ferrari, like in like eighty five, eighty five? Yeah, I know yeah. somewhere in the mid eighties. Uh-huh. Okay, so I I his name was in the book because. I believe it was Prost, whose teammates went to in 85. And here's a devastating thing, as I'm looking at it right now. He finished second in the championship in 1985 in Formula One. And his final five races, starting at Italy, finished 13th. It was his lowest um, finish. Didn't he only win, like, one race? The he won season? two races, two? Canada and Germany. But his final four races, he retired from. All four. Not great. Belgium, European Grand Prix, Russia... And I think Austria, all were retirements, and he ended up finishing second that year in points. What what were his IndyCar? One, which series was he in? Well, uh, I'm looking at it right now. He was, uh, let's see, he was in the Indy Racing League, 96-97. Only one Indianapolis 500 start. That was in 1996 with, of course, Team Scandia in their Reynard 95i. Yeah, they had, what, like six cars, seven cars? Uh, Yeah, I think we keep going back to Team Scandia. (laughs) i got to mix it up next week. Finished 30th in his one and only start. Uh, Had a Ford Cosworth engine. Uh, Started 12th, was solidly in the field, but uh, finished 30th in his lone 500 appearance. But, um, you know, had some quite a bit of success in Formula One. And... You know, it's very much a, I'm just going to click on a guy's name that I don't recognize. And then you can actually find out they had pretty successful careers elsewhere. And Michelle Alboreto was one of those. All right. Well, see, learn something new every week. And, uh, you know, Alessandro Zampedri last week, Zampedri, I'm sure I yeah. butchered that. And now we and have now Alboreto. Michelle who, Alboreto. Who, who tragically died at age 44 on April 25th, 2001. Uh, one Sebring that year, the 12 hours of Sebring, mm-hmm. uh, was killed testing an Audi R8 Le Mans prototype at the uh, Lausitzring in Germany in 2001. That track, just bad luck for... It's not very... It, it yeah. used to be a lot worse, for sure. Huh. Uh, that's a bummer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry to end note. that on that <laughs> note. But you know, the Lausitz ring always fascinates me because it it can be an, like it's like a paperclip. Like we talk about Martinsville being a paperclip. Uh, Lausitz ring has an oval that's like a paperclip. Like it's a, it's, it's more crazy. paperclippy than Chicago Motor Speedway. Yes, <laughs> like for real. So uh, always kind of amazed at uh, at that track every time I look at it. But yeah, we lost. Uh, Michel Alboreto and his one Indy 500 start uh, at the Lausitz Ring in 2001. All right. So anything that we missed? Probably. Probably. There's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to get to. But uh, all right. With that, tweets of the week. <laughs> Great transition. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, first one is from Scott McLaughlin, S. McLaughlin 93 on Twitter. Just a bunch of Zs. And he posted that Sunday morning. Hmm. 
wonder what that's in regards to. I mean, he had an eventful weekend from losing his keys. Yes. Thinking it was a prank. Everybody denying it. They were under his bus. Still, what is it? Yeah. And then he got he got the new set of keys and then found his keys under the bus. But then they also did pull a prank. Those blow up like sheep dolls all around his bus outside. Yeah, I saw that's, it. That's not wasn't the that's, best. Yeah, thing. that's that's pretty I mean, tame. I mean, come on, taking the uh, wheels off off Alex Rossi's golf cart and putting them on top of his RV—that's good stuff. Correct. Inflatable sheep, lambs, whatever they were—that's not doing it for me. Uh, I hope tomorrow we have something better. Yes, I would agree. Um, this from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star by underscore Nathan Brown. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Formula One isn't happening at the Indy 500 this year. Totally accurate factual statement, really. <laughs> yeah, that was, of course, with the uh, the living section, page yes. one, with the Formula yeah, that, One car that was, on it. That was not Nathan Brown's error. So, yes, it was tongue-in-cheek. Correct. Um, you know, rolling with it. I mean, you have to. You know, what are you going to do? Somebody screwed up, but you're not going to throw cohorts or anybody under the bus. So, it happened. Unfortunately, it happened, but uh, everybody move on. And, you know, he technically... Correct. Exactly. Uh, and then this from IndyCar on NBC with a mic drop tweet. I mean, this this might be our, like, tweet of the year for the show. Um, some random person uh, just said, Interesting to note that the only female driver to appear at the Indianapolis 500 race next Sunday has qualified last on the grid. And the IndyCar on NBC account, uh, whoever ran this, props to him or her, they tweeted, Interesting to note, you failed to qualify. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, that's a walk off. Yeah, right um, you know, just a keyboard uh, keyboard warrior. You know, throwing out a sexist comment. Look, I I, I think uh, Simona has done a tremendous job with a team that is a one off. Again, their first event. We talked about Top Gun not being able to find it in a short amount of time. Um, was Perret Autosport helped by their affiliation with Penske? Absolutely. But they still had to go out there and execute. They were able to do it, and they'll start the 500 on Sunday. All right, before we close, we have to get our final picks for the Indy 500 in. All right. Uh, you want me to go first, or are you going first? We're just picking one driver. Yes, one driver. One driver. Um, do you have a pick, Caleb? Yes. Go. I am going to... I'm going to go with Elio Castroneves. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, we, you interviewed um, earlier this week Jack Harvey, and the question that I told that you, when you asked me, do you have any questions for Jack Harvey, I said, who does he think he has the better hair, himself, Elio, or Mr. Shank himself? And Jack said himself. Did he? Yeah. He but would. Yeah, I mean, I mean you're always going to favor your own do, right? Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be great to see Meyer Shank racing in victory lane. I'm going Colton Herta. Okay, so we're both not picking Dixon. I mean, I think it would be easy to pick Dixon. I think we're trying to find a different narrative to go with, but um, you know, I will not be surprised if Scott Dixon wins. But I'm picking Colton Herta. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I would not be surprised at all if Dixon won. However, you know, I I've been torn between. Uh, TK, Elio, and Rossi and Potter. I mean, those are the other people outside of Dixon. I feel like these people have a legitimate shot to win uh, this year. And, you know, I'm going with Elio because, like, I mean, he qualified solid. He's He's got a, 
a team that I think has surprised people. I don't think people expected him to qualify that well, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. And it just – he's still hungry. He's still got the skills. He hasn't started up at the front for, what, a couple of years? So, I mean, this is the best shot we're going to have for a, another four-time winner. And I think uh, – I don't know. I just I have a weird feeling. You know, and I feel both – that way for TK and Elio this year. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I don't know how many more opportunities Elio is going to get for a com- in a competitive ride, and I don't think he does it just to do it. He'll he'll want a competitive ride. True. So, you know, I don't know. I I feel like he had all that success early on, obviously winning in his first two years. He's come close um otherwise outside of of 2009 with his third win. So, is this his last best shot? I mean, he's finished, what, second two, three times? Yeah, uh, second in 2014, second in 17, and he was second in 2003 when he was going for the three-peat to yeah. his teammate Jill DeFerrin. So, you know, with, with what we expect Meyer Shank to go to two full-time cars next year, I mean, do they add a third for the 500? Could Pro- that be Elio? Probably not. I would think Elio would be their full-time guy. You think they go yeah. Elio? I yeah. mean, a 47-year-old Elio Castroneves next year? He, I mean, if he has a good race and yeah. competes the rest of the season, is on pace, you know. Yeah, potentially I mean, I, mean I feel like he could have that final year that I think he desperately wanted, and I think that's why he's back and still driven, because he left the game and he, he was still – really competitive back in 2017 yeah i mean with six straight years of fifth or better in the points um and of course fourth in points in 2017 won at iowa and that was his last year uh with a win at full time before going to sports cars so yeah going about it you know it'd be great to see elio win a fourth i think would be amazing i'm going colton Herta. four of the top six starters have never won the indianapolis 500 will we see a first time winner we'll see and and second has I mean outside of Will Power, I believe has not fared very well at the Speedway in recent years. Uh, starting second, yeah. And you say yeah. I don't think um, haven't once. They've only won once since 1969, and that was in 2018. That was a uh, 20 2000. Oh okay. Uh, they won when. Uh, you Mon- have this stat ready Mon- to go. I'm impressed. Good Montoya, job. Montoya. He started won second. That race. Yeah, started second one. Who was the pole sitter in two? That was that Greg Ray. Uh, that year, yes. Okay, Greg Ray was on the pole, and Montoya dominated that race. Yeah, 167 laps led. I mean, that was the most dominant performance we have seen in quite some time. And you know, maybe it's Scott Dixon with that kind of performance Sunday. Who knows? But I hope not. Not that I'm rooting against Scott Dixon. I just hope we don't have a dominant winner. I I would agree. All right. Well, that wraps up our qualifying recap our any 500 race preview and again don't forget interview with doug bowles will be posted friday and with that next week we'll be back and we'll recap the 105th running of the greatest spectacle in racing for justin kinney i am caleb hatch thanks for joining us on another episode of new track record podcast podcasts by federated media